it's uh, it's actually kind of fitting that we're starting uh, a, a so-called unlucky numbered season in the spookiest time of the year. In fact, now that I look at the date, well, we're recording this on the 13th day of October 2021. Well, Will, uh, that just sound sends a chill down my spine. Mm. Um, I'm downright terrified. Uh, this podcast is haunted. Oh, I feel like it. Hmm, I feel like this might not be the first time it's been haunted. And hey, I mean, anyways, isn't it? Isn't it already haunted by, by Mike? The presence of Mike, isn't he? I, I know. There's some sort of like uh, war going on on the astral plane between um, Mike, the causer of technical issues and whatever sort of unspoken ghoul or demon uh, that we've brought on by recording uh, the first episode of the 13th season on the 13th. Wasn't there another kind of spiritual entity named Mike on Twin Peaks, or am I getting the name wrong? Uh, I think he had a a similarly innocuous name, something like Bob. Yeah, it was like Bob and... Ugh... Uh, that's going to drive me nuts. Anyway, I'm sure the uh, Twin Peaks fans who listen to us are yelling at the podcast right now. So a great way to get the energy started here on the uh, one of the 13th season premiere of Elwood City Limits, uh, the Episodic Arthur podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Will Young along with Lucas Mancini. And you heard that right. After much ado, we're starting a new season. And it's always fun to start a new season of Arthur here on the show. And, uh, yeah, it's the spooky time of year, and we're getting ready. We're actually going to have a, another episode, I mean, knock on wood, close to Halloween. So we'll kind of get into a little bit of that sort of chat uh, in the, a little bit deeper into the month. But for right now, um, I'd certainly – I'm anxious to get on with the uh, with the proceedings, especially considering the episodes we're talking about today. But, of course, we always like to start off with correspondence, emails, that is, uh, <laughs> elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Which we have a couple to start us off here. Our first one comes in from Aaron, a.k.a. Young Wee. It has been a long time since I've listened to the ECL podcast, but I've been lately finding the time to listen to you again. I love hearing about my favorite show, although I'm a bit sad that production is reportedly ending after next year. Um, he talks about, Aaron talks about how uh, Arthur and the Haunted Treehouse is uh, his favorite Arthur TV special because Halloween's my favorite holiday to the point where I believe it ought to be a public holiday. The special also features Bud, who for nostalgic reasons is my favorite Arthur character. Now, Bud and LaDonna haters. Uh, Here's a little something for you to think about. My personal story for LaDonna and Bud, especially Bud, dates back to 2015. In July of that year, Satoru Iwata, the then president of Nintendo, passed away. I was so saddened by the sudden loss, mainly because I am a big Nintendo fan, that I deliberately turned to a TV channel other than morning news, and I chose a channel that had Arthur on. This is when I came across Bud and later LaDonna. These two characters helped me cope with the loss of Iwata, and that's why I appreciate them, especially Bud. Nostalgia may explain why I love those two characters a lot. It seems like they are generally disliked, and I suspect that it is because many long-term Arthur fans have nostalgia towards pre-LaDonna Arthur, which is understandable. In contrast, I've developed nostalgia towards LaDonna and Bud. As a result, to see my two favorite characters in a Halloween Arthur special is like my dream come true. And I have a lot of nostalgia for the Haunted Treehouse. I even go as far as saying that this is the best Arthur special ever made. On the topic of Halloween, I'm interested to know of any plans that you have for the occasion this year. And since at the time of sending this email, it is Thanksgiving weekend in Canada, I'm also curious to hear if you have slash had any plans for that. So let's uh, let's break this down in a couple of chunks here, Lucas. Um, first of all, th- Thanksgiving weekend just passed. Um, how do you, how did, how did you celebrate this year? Oh, just making the rounds. I got a big family, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, a single date, but the uh, festivities are split into multiple days in order to see everybody. So just seeing the fam, um, uh, trying not to try, trying to take up maybe perhaps a little bit of the colonialism out of the holiday and just using it as an excuse and a day off to uh, see the family and eat some good food. Uh, what about yourself, Will? Uh, 
Uh, this year it was mostly spent with my wife's family. Uh, my family are going to be doing more of an American Thanksgiving this year. Uh, we're trying to split up the day a little bit because sometimes a lot of what can happen, especially uh, my sister my sister is married and I am married. So what happens is that you double up on the holidays a lot. So mm. when Christmas or Thanksgiving come around, you run the risk of having like two Thanksgiving dinners or Christmas dinners in one very short time, which... Um, which can be good, don't get me wrong, but I also appreciate spacing them out a little bit. So my family's going to get together in November when our American listeners will probably be getting together for Thanksgiving. And so I had mine with uh, my wife's family, which was which was very good, and it was otherwise a very peaceful and pleasant uh, th- long Thanksgiving weekend. And Halloween, um, well, normally my uh, my wife Jenna and I don't have... We don't really go to parties or anything, especially during these quarantinous times, uh, but we do kind of settle in. We've been watching a bunch of horror movies this month, and we will continue to do so. I always like to get a full-size chocolate bar just in case uh, there is one child who is willing to walk the halls of the apartments and knock on the mm. door. And if they do... The hallowed halls. Yes. If they do, they'll get a nice surprise. Uh, and eh, every once in a while, I like to scare up a costume just for just for me, just for taking a couple pictures. But we'll see if I I don't know. I kind of leave that to the last minute. And I'm not a very good like I'm not a cosplay type person. I wish I was, but I don't have the mind for it. I don't have the skills for it. So it's not really something best left to uh, to the to the to the very end. Uh, what about you, Lucas? Do you have anything uh, brewing? Oh, yes. Yes, I, I double bubble toil and trouble. I have two Halloween uh, <laughs> get-togethers I'm appearing at, and thus two costumes are required. Um, wow. Basically, one's one's the lazy one, one's the 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 like more kind of dedicated one. Uh, the dedicated one this year is uh, Ned Flanders, uh, based Perfect. on the fact that I basically already look like him and have the whole outfit. I just need to paint myself yellow. So I was I was that's... saying I was saying that to Jenna recently. Is that your <laughs> wardrobe and your look is re- is resembling like you? It it even kind of shows up in your Facebook profile picture. It looks like a like a a Polaroid picture that somebody took of your dad's friend in 1995. And, like, I have several pictures of my dad with, like, his buddies from the 80s and 90s, and you are, like, the spitting image of well, those Well, Will, I'm flattered I could be one of your dad's buddies. Uh, <laughs> and then, in a similar vein, you know, you have to incorporate the mustache, uh, the lazy costume. Again, just basically put together with things from my wardrobe plus a hat is going to be Luigi. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I guess it's it's hair it's appropriate with my heritage as well. So you and uh, Charlie Day are both uh, going to be exactly. going as Luigi exactly. within the exactly. Next and season. I have more of a right, you know. I don't know. Mm. Let me just look up real quick if Charlie Day is Italian American because I almost certain he's not. Yeah, I, I we're gonna say, see I who who is actually uh, doing Italian face. Yeah, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. I, I, I'd say that he's probably closer than, uh, than Chris Pratt, maybe. But uh, it's true. I, I wouldn't say either of them are uh, necessarily oh? great candidates. Oh, okay. His family was original surname. I stand corrected. His family's original surname was Del Giorno, and his oh. father is of Italian and Irish descent. So, okay, there you go. There you go. Uh, Charlie Day, you're off my uh, you're off my S list. He's invited. Uh, Chris- he's invited to the pizzeria. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Chris Pratt, on the other hand, needs to watch his frickin' back. That's all I gotta say. I mean, as soon as somebody put the tweet out that's like, he's gonna say, it's a me, Mario, and then cough and be like, well, that was weird. It's just like, well, yeah, that's exactly how it's... They, Yeah, no, it's we can... Twitter can write a better Mario movie than the people writing the actual Mario movie. Although... I bet we're going to end up seeing that one way or another, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stay tuned to, to the Patreon. Um, to, quote also, the, uh, to quote Polly from The Sopranos, it's anti-Italian discrimination. Um, to make one note here, like, uh, Aaron, thank you for your notes about LaDonna and Bud. Uh, Aaron also had a suggestion, which I think I'm able to implement. So I we won't talk about this right yet. Maybe in two weeks when we come back. I'll just say Halloween weekend, there's going to be a little surprise in the free feed. 
a little treat for your uh, uh, treat sacks. I don't know. I, ugh, no, I don't what? like that. Okay. Anyway, keep your eyes on the free feed in the Halloween weekend is what I'm saying. And you have Aaron, a.k.a. Young Wee, to thank for that. So let's move on to one of our patrons here, Vinny Cataldo. Uh, season 13, holy cow, I'm so excited for this season. It's one of my favorites from later Arthur. But in my honest opinion, after the season, I really saw a decline with the series. This was really the last season that I was excited to watch a new episode, but 14 is where I lost interest. Don't get me wrong, later seasons have good episodes here and there, but overall, 14 and onward weren't my cup of tea. I also loved your season 12 recapped and loved how you both agreed that the Chronicles of Buster was the top episode in that season. As a 21-year-old who struggles with ADHD, seeing Buster constantly bug our Arthur about Amazia made me see that I am somewhat like Buster as I bug people about things like my love for Seinfeld or Slipknot. Either way, I love that episode and your review on it has been my favorite so far. Thanks, Vinny. Um, hey, anytime you want to bring up either of those subjects in the Discord, uh, please feel free to because I think Lucas has a lot to say about Seinfeld and I have a few things to say about Slipknot myself. Uh, Vinny, one of our... That would, be, that, that would be a great AMV. <laughs> I wonder. Actually, it may. I wouldn't be surprised if there is if there is one. But Vinny, uh, always a great contributor to the Discord. Really appreciate his patronage and his presence here as a listener on the show. Uh, we have another one here from a newer listener by the name of Ali. Hello, Will and Lucas, and to an extent, Greg. I'm guessing she means Mike, but that's okay. Uh, there is a little bit of a Greg mention on this episode. I found your podcast when it was officially announced that Arthur would come to an end, and I've been listening ever since. I am officially caught up on the back catalog. Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's impressive in just a couple of months. Thanks, Allie. Like y'all, I'm watching the Arthur episodes and then listening to the corresponding podcast episode. I stopped watching Arthur when it went to Flash animation, so I'm excited and nervous to see the Flash animation in season 16, particularly looking forward to an episode that's a parody of Downton Abbey. I'm excited for y'all to get to these next three seasons as they have some of my favorite episodes, one in particular entitled Arthur Unravels. Another episode down the line features the return of Grandpa Dave where he meets Francine's booby. Oh, good. Bobby's coming back. Excellent. Hope to hear your thoughts soon. Uh, P.S. I also wonder if I could email you later on about my thoughts on past episodes you have already covered. Well, Allie, uh, many have already done that, and I would encourage you to do the same. Always interesting to hear things from people's perspectives. Thanks, everybody, for the emails, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com, and you can also reach us on social media. As Vinny mentioned, our previous episode was the Season 12 recap. Last week was meant to be um, a For the Kids episode for our patrons, but due to scheduling conflicts, it wasn't able to happen. However, if you are an Elwood City Limits patron, you did get to hear the recap of Season 12 a couple of days early, which was a little bit of a make good from us as best as we could do. So our episode on the puzzle place is going to be coming up next week. Again, knock on wood, as long as things go well. And we want to thank our patrons for hanging in there, including thanking some of them by name, such as our newest patrons like Bella and the Wandering Film Critic. We also have Iman Salehian. We have Baby Show Addict. We have Robert Morrison, Valeria, Michelle Sprzynski, EJ Acra. Now I have to go to page two. Uh, Greg Hagai, <laughs> Melissa Avales. Oh, no, I went back to page one. Oh, for goodness sakes. Oh, it's so tough having this many patrons. I have to go to a second page. Oh, okay. Uh, Kristen, uh, Shayna Bennett. Hey, Shayna. Riley Stevens, Christine Wong, Emily K, Teresa, and let's say... Oh, we had, we had one who I wanted to mention. That would be Brian Austin. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, at patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. Um, if you're in the Halloween mood, by the way, Arthur and the Haunted Treehouse full commentary is up now. So feel free to get a copy of the episode and listen along, patrons. Okay, so Arthur season 13. We always, at the beginning of the season, like to do a little bit of a catch-up as to what you can expect. Now, this time around, there are no big shakeups to the voice cast, and uh, that has to do with the fact that... Um, Season 13 is kind of sort of season 12 part two, 
because so season 13 originally aired from October 2009 to April 2010. It was originally the second half of season 12 during the original U.S. airing because they were produced at the same time, season 12 and uh, season 13. Hence why I had a little mini heart attack. Uh, when you first sent me the link to this, because I had watched the episode to its entirety, and we were just about to record, and then I hovered over the link on... Uh, oh, by the way, the FBI, if you're listening to this episode, uh, stop listening right now. Uh, <laughs> I was looking at the how the episode was listed on the Daily Motion link, yeah. um, and it's, it's listed as Season 13, Episode 5, and in a panic I said, now surely that can't be right. right. Now, when I look it up on Wikipedia, it actually is Season 13, Episode 1, but I wonder if, if the confusion herein lies with it technically kind of being, you know, a continuation of Season 12. So yes, that was one of the points that I wanted to make, is it's, uh, not really, but there is a reason for it. So this was, uh, this was alerted to me by one of our other patrons, Peebs, who is a great Arthur resource, and, uh, this is, and this is like publicly listed. So the episodes we're talking about today, which is No Acting, Please, and Prunella in the Disappointing Ending, is listed as the fifth episode of Season 13 on the official episode guide on PBS's website, I believe. So... They PBS lists the Great McGrady as the first episode. However, the their order was flipped for the original U.S. air date. So, no acting, please, and Prunella in the disappointing ending technically aired first before the Great McGrady. Although the intended uh, airing is supposed to be the other way around. I decided to go with this. That's how it's listed on Wikipedia. Is that the episode we're talking about today is number one? The Great McGrady is at five. I decided to stick with that. Mainly because, A, I didn't see that information in time, and B, I do want to kind of build up to The Great McGrady. I didn't want to just kind of start with that one. And I also wanted to hype up what we're going to be talking about in this episode as well. Um, This was also part of the uh, Season 12 notes. These episodes started airing in several countries before the original U.S. air dates, including U.K., Australia, and Canada. So Canada technically got a look at... Uh, no acting, please, and Prunella in the disappointing ending before our neighbors to the south. Uh, yeah, so this is it. No acting, please. And if you'll remember from a few ep- from a few weeks ago when we ended season twelve, I had uh, I had a heck of a time kind of bigging this up. True. And we'll we will get, we will get to why very very shortly, and. Um, and I and I'm very excited to get there. So, but as we usually like to do, Arthur, in the beginning of No Acting, please is filming the cold open. We, I love I love the cold opens where it's kind of behind behind the scenes, and we're kind of figuring out how in universe yes. in Arthur cold open is filmed. So There's Arthur's actually some fil- pretty pretty sweeping implications here that Buster is the cameraman, like. Before it was all magical realism, it was Ferris Bueller. Arthur was stopping time and addressing us, the audience. You know, I was pointing to myself like that meme. Um, But in reality, what's going on is uh, Buster, uh, using his camcorder from Postcards with Buster, is actually filming Arthur doing the cold opens. And he even says, I like shouting cut. It makes me feel professional. So as they're kind of filming this and uh, Arthur's flubbing a line here and there, DW comes in and she wants to use the space for her uh, pillow fort because the pillows where they're filming downstairs are better than in the den, I believe it is. And the DW acts upset in order to get them to move. She starts this very histrionic crying uh, thing and just kind of doubles over on the couch and then Arthur and Buster decide to move and Nadine congratulates DW for a wonderful acting job. Feels like it's been a while since we've seen Nadine. She's very sporadic. I think she's kind of, I think they're limiting her to like one or two episodes a season, if that. So this is her appearance. I don't expect to see her again for a while. She's sort of joined the Pal and Kate universe that's kind of where we saw her last it's it's as if you know as dw's cast grows right we're getting more and more kids at dw's preschool and that whole group it seems like there's less and less of a reason for nadine um but we'll see so the actual episode has to do with uh the trio of muffy francine and fern as muffy is telling them that she's auditioning for a famous theater director from crown city named William Fillmore Toffman, who is staging a play called It Began With a Whistle. 
And as we are quick to see, Mr. William Fillmore Toffman, played by none other than the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. How well, about what, this? What's, what's your favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance? So I actually just watched it again recently. I love the movie Doubt. I think he's fantastic. Oh, that. that's an inspired choice. Doubt, Doubt's a sleeper. That's a great flick. It's so it's so good. It's great. I love it. What about you? Ooh, it's it's hard to pick just one. I know, right? Uh, I mean, like, uh, I mean uh, the 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 Boogie Nights performance is one of the most kind of honest portrayals of kind of like a hapless loser ever. Like just like. Uh, uh, he really went down into the depths to pull out kind of like this kind of pathetic character. Uh, so I always think to, to the Boogie Nights performance because that's like a, a classic in my mind. Um, looking at all these, geez, it, it really is hard to pick just one. I will, um, also, I still... I will also say that uh, Capote is a very underrated movie. He was nominated mm. for the Oscar for that. I think he might have won the Oscar for that. Um, but the movie itself is really, really good. And he's so tremendous in it i mean it's it's hard to find i mean there are you know there's a hierarchy of his roles but my god what an amazing actor we had and what a, what a oh, shame it is that we don't have him anymore you know no absolutely totally agreed um and it's his son is gonna be in that new uh paul thomas anderson movie right i don't know is he yeah, I, be- I believe so. I, the Licorice Pizza, or whatever that movie's called. It's, oh, yeah, I think okay. it stars Philip Sr. Hoffman's son, as well as one of the girls from Haim, or Haim, or whatever you pronounce that Oh, name. yeah, so, the, the, the Haim the, sisters? The, yes, the legend continues. So, yeah, it's, I mean, were you, so were you surprised by this? I tried to kind of keep this a secret, because I wanted your, like, natural reaction. What, like, first of all, did you kin to the fact that it was him? Okay, uh, first things first, I forgot before we move on to mention the master. That's probably the best one. Um, yes. But uh, after that, uh, yeah, so I um, didn't clue in. What's the, his fake Arthur name again? William Fillmore Toffman. I, so I didn't clue in when they said William Fillmore Toffman, which I probably should have. Um, but the second that we see kind of his authorized version on screen... Uh, it immediately clicked for me. In fact, I think I wrote down in my notes, is that Philip Seymour Hoffman? Because uh, it, it's the spitting image. Um, uh, they did a great job. You know, we've talked about this before, how there's kind of two schools of uh, Arthur celebrity guests. There's the uh, Matt Damon and um, Lance Armstrong, where they just kind of look like a guy with ears. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, you know, the classic, you know, Art Garfunkel, um, um, the, the Yo-Yo Ma, where they kind of look like a animalized version of the real life counterpart, and I this one is definitely uh, the latter rather than the former. And it's it's it is very much him, like of course the the kind of Schmilip Schmimor Schmoffman sort of name is indicative of that. It's also like he's not so. You know, I'm I'm used to seeing kind of two versions of Philip Seymour Hoffman on screen. It's either you know he's he's kind of kind of you know using his lower register. He's a little bit uh, he's a little bit just kind of a normal guy, or he's like yelling at the top of his lungs, and or or just or just like super emoting. Even in like Boogie Nights, he's not yelling, but he's like crying and emoting and all this kind of thing. Yeah, he's like oh, that's his, that's, such, that's why I'm such an idiot. I'm such an yeah. idiot. Oh, I bought a car like your car. I thought you'd think it was cool. <laughs> Exactly. So this is pretty much just him, except he's playing his character very like a like very theatrically in a classical way. He's just like, ah, but the theater and the Mm, performance mm. and all this kind of thing. It's very like uh, it reminds me of John Lovitz's uh, theatrical character from SNL that he did on the subway commercials like subway eat fresh. Yes. Yeah. Except he's not doing it quite so comedically. So yeah, this this was really cool. I mean, we I had known this for a while now, and I was just like waiting and waiting to get to this episode. So it's so cool to see him here. And yeah, he's not playing himself; he is playing a character, which I do appreciate because a lot of other times, when you, to Arthur's, I'd say credit, there, we're used to getting a lot of guest stars who are not necessarily actors, quote unquote. So they kind of just end up playing themselves, which is fine. Or in Matt Damon's case, he is an actor but played himself anyway. And so you kind of. 
you kind of tilt your expectations in such a way where it's just like, okay, I'm not expecting them to be like voice actors extraordinaire. But with Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's like, no, that guy can act. So he's like doing a character, which I also appreciate. It's, it, we don't often get that. So, yes, he's a famed theater director from Crown City, and Muffy goes to read for him and his play. Uh, and she's not very good. Muffy's not a very good actor. Uh, and then Fern, who kind of doesn't know who this guy is, doesn't have any interest in acting, kind of gets called up on stage and then ends up being cast as the role of Little Lucy, uh, which is the child character in the play, because of her, I guess, he kind of takes her nonchalance as, like, naturalistic dialogue, I think. Yeah, it's it's not quite unclear. Like, from the jump, he takes one look at her, and he, he there's a funny line about how she's got, like, a hunger in her eye, and and she's skinny, but she has round shoulders, and he's describing all these at- physical attributes, and she goes, well, I did just have frozen yogurt. And he's like, and a wit to boot! Yeah, he's, um, he seems to really take a shine to her and, like, imagine her as sort of the ideal of this character that he's envisioned. Fern becomes part of this, is cast, and Muffy is angry at first, but then f- she encourages Fern to go forward with it. If she can't, then Fern should, even though Fern's like, I don't have any interest or care about acting yeah, at all. Yeah, um, Initially, she's disappointed, um, proclaiming, you know, she worked for hours having Bailey put together those hair- headshots. Right, exactly. Um... So we get the we get to look at the rest of the cast. Uh, Fern is going to be acting alongside Mr. Ratburn, Mr. Crosswire, who apparently I think is uh, donating quite a bit to the theater to get his role, and uh, Grandma Thora, who are going to be the main cast of this. Uh, Fern's part compared to the others is very small. I believe she only has like one line, maybe one or two, but Mr. Toffman is insistent that her part is the most important. And that her performance, like her kind of nonchalant performance, naturalistic, I keep going back to, is exactly what he's been looking for. So Uh, going as far as to say is I I feel the whole play revolves around that line. Exactly. So Fern, like she keeps she keeps nailing the line as he keeps telling her and he's, you know, completely over the moon about her performance. So Fern kind of goes through her head a little bit. She starts. Uh, envisioning herself as winning an award for her performance. We get a little bit of a dream sequence where yes. she wins, I guess, the the Arthur equivalent of, like, a Tony? Uh, yeah, she's going for that EGOT. Um, this <laughs> the sequence is really funny because she's doing the phony baloney thing that celebs always do, where she's like, even though my fan mail had its own dressing room and all the critics loved me, I wasn't expecting this, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was a funny little kind of parody. And it's like, and the award kind of looks like the uh, laughing, uh, frowning uh, theater mask. It has a name and I can't think of it. I'm sorry. Um, So Fern is having this imagination while she's in the sugar bowl. And, you know, she's kind of saying, thank you. Thank you out loud. Muffy has a good line where she's like, would you quit thanking the ketchup and pass it, please? (laughs) I also want to note here that, you know, we go back to the to the rehearsals a couple of times and we see Toffman. giving giving notes to everybody and Toffman you know when he's giving notes to Thora he refers to her as grandma like like grandma is her first name yeah it's very like uh uh like in in Japanese movies and anime they always call like every old person gets to be called grandpa um, right exactly so yeah using it more as an honorific uh, but who knows maybe in this universe uh, Philip senior Hoffman is Arthur's long lost brother. I don't know how that would work with Dad Reed's ages, uh, and the fact that but, and the uh, fact that Toffman is a rabbit. There's lots of questions. Yeah. Uh, is he a rabbit? I guess it's hard. His ears are so small, wasn't he? Okay, uh, in my head he's a rabbit, but I don't have the episode. No, in front of me. see, he's pale. Like the he's the same color as the rabbits tend to be, but his ears are like the bear the bear ears. I okay. think he's. Unfortunately, the the type of oh, Arthur right. celebrity guest where he is generic bear-like animal. Yeah, he's just kind of animalized to some degree. So Ferns kind of starts to get in her own head about her performance, and this this is thanks to Muffy, who is just like you know you only have a little bit of screen time, so you have to maximize it. So Fern thinks that maybe she's not being dramatic enough, and you know she g- gives a rehearsal where she like overplays the line, and it completely doesn't work. Um. And also, 
the advice that he gives to her is that she needs to listen because she's so in her head and she's making she's doing she's actually doing something I do before uh, I do my job as a captioner. She, she's going like red, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather to like loosen up her lips and get herself ready. But she's not paying attention to the scene. And one of the instructions he gives her is to um, is to listen at all times. And eventually he takes her outside after her bad line reading and instructs her to be like a tree and not a tree itself. So not to be inflexible. Like, I think it was like not to be as inflexible as a tree, but to give off the idea that you are a tree, which is that <laughs> to, it kind of tree vibes, essentially to be, to give off tree vibes. I, I yeah. Some, something like that. It's in that like nobody can take their eyes off of you or to some, something like that. It's, it was, a little hard to parse as, as a non-actor myself. We actually go right to the performance from here, uh, opening night, and what happens in the, it's like kind of a, it's like kind of a dust bowl drama, and what happens is that Fern uh, initially helps Grandma Thora recover from missing a line, and in the process of doing that, Fern blows her line, but she improvises. She kind of her line is like, "Grandma, can't you hear the whistle?" And instead, she says. Grandma, can't you hear the thistle? And she's like, yes, the thistle. And then in a more real sense, the whistle. <laughs> it's it's not exactly that, but it is basically like just bring it back to her line. And everybody, it's received well, and she manages to recover. And which is the fact, which proves in the end that she listened as a good actor does. Which is, it's, I'm sure it's part of being a good actor, but maybe not the whole thing. And she is congratulated by Mr. Toffman, who, in the end, is not much of a, like, character with an arc or anything. He's just kind of, like, j- just kind of there to help Fern learn the lesson of listening and uh, being receptive as an actor. And I wonder if we're going to see Fern act anymore after this. I know it was interesting. I mean, we now know that she has this skill, right? It's it's like um, I feel like we've had multiple episodes now where we've we've realized Buster's acumen as a as a magician. Uh, we've realized way back in the day that uh, Francine is an excellent singer or an excellent uh, uh, drummer. Um, we have all the kids' kind of hidden talents rising to the surface. Uh, we know Fern loves poetry, but will she act again? Remains to be seen. And now, a word from an actor? And now, a word from us kids! (laughs) We uh, we ended up with one of those video files that has the midsection of the Arthur episode. And instead of postcards from you or a word from us kids, it's a word from an actor, a young actor. Um, We follow Lily behind uh, a girl named Lily behind the scenes acting in a Christmas carol for the new repertory theater in Massachusetts. So this was interesting. It was a lot of just uh, uh, seeing how actors are directed and uh, Lily talks about like embodying her character. She's so she's in a Christmas carol. She's one of the Cratchit children and she's talking about how she learns her lines and how she kind of figures herself out within the character it looks like a good production it had some like production value behind it yeah definitely when they show the big like Ebenezer Scrooge gravestone um and and, and you know the the ghost of Christmas yet to come um I was like ooh, uh got these these you know season 13 recording on the 13th vibes um there's a part of this that made me laugh. It's when she's talking about her one line, um, and she's like, "Yeah, my line about the pudding—it's a lot like what happens to Fern in the episode." Um, <laughs> which, what she's trying to say is that, like, she similarly to Fern has kind of one what line, and to her, it's important, even though it, it's and it and it is in a sense important to the the play, but it's kind of a throwaway line in the context of the whole play. Um, but just the phrase, you know, the line about the pudding's a lot like what's happening here with, with Scrooge and stuff. It's it's kind of funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, they have to they have to bring it back to the central message. 
Um, I also noticed here, and I think this is something that has always happened with these Arthur segments. Did you notice the camera moving during the talking head segments? Like, I noticed that every time that they would go to either Lily or one of the other actors talking, the camera does a little bit of like a swoop in and is always kind of on a swivel. It's always moving. And I found it. Yes, it's, it's, it's very, um, it reminds me of like, it's, it's very like early much music. Um, um, (laughs) it, it, it reminds me of the Rick Mercer report when he does his rants, um, the camera yeah. work is very similar where he's walking down the alleyway and the camera will swoop to like the, a different Dutch angle on Rick Mercer for emphasis. It feels like a way to keep those segments, dy- those segments dynamic, I suppose. Yeah. Which, I mean, I also think it's a very, it's a bit of a dated way to do that because in terms of like, it's funny you mentioned much music. It feels to me very nineties of like, always keep the camera moving, quick cuts, always make sure that like, the way to keep the viewer engaged is to always be in motion, which is like nowadays it's like, eh, that's not necessarily always the way to do it. Uh, all right. We're going to tackle the uh, from a Fern episode to a Prunella episode. We're going to be talking about Prunella uh, right after this. Hey, everybody, it's Lucas from the Elwood City Limits podcast. And if you love ECL, there's a couple of ways to keep up with us. You could go to facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits at ECL podcast. That's our Twitter. We take questions on Tumblr. It's elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. There is an Instagram as well, Elwood City Limits on Instagram. Of course, if you want to donate to the show and get exclusive content, whether that's our full-length commentary of the Arthur movies, our brand new a bi-weekly PBS Kids review show as well as our video game movie reviews with the Sonic movie review and Pikachu movie review you can check out patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits uh, and that's also going to get you access to the Elwood City Limits Discord which me and Will like to post in from time to time and if you want that sweet sweet Elwood City Limits merch check out teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood hyphen city hyphen limits hyphen store you can listen to the podcast at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and there's other podcast apps like Stitcher. And if we're not on your favorite app, let us know. And where can you let us know? Well, that's going to be at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. That's also where you can send us a question and we'll read it on the show. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is to tell a friend who likes animation or Arthur or just podcasts in general and to go to our iTunes page and rate us out of five stars. Apparently, that helps podcasts out. Bye, everybody. Prunella and the disappointing ending is the one we're talking about today. I, you know, it's, first of all, what a treat, like what a good omen, I think, to start off the season 13 with a Fern episode, which is one of, which is my favorite character. And now we start off, uh, we continue with a Prunella and Marina focused episode, which as we've talked about in previous seasons is actually become one of our favorite kind of pairings, one of our favorite storytelling pairs. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fun new dynamic, and it bodes well because I think, you know, these are some of the characters that we were lamenting weren't in last season more. So, yeah, it's good to see them. And at the very and at the very least, they're here right at the beginning, so it's like we're starting off very, very strongly, and hopefully we'll see more of them. But uh, if we don't, at least we started here. Um, so, yeah, it's... We start this off with Prunella. This is, again, another kind of a behind-the-scenes sort of thing. Prunella is, like, seated in an actor's chair and just, like, all about to spoil the episode ahead. And then Marina argues with her about spoiling the episode. Like, you wouldn't spoil uh, the end of Cinderella or the end of Snow White. And then both of those characters come on and spoil their respective endings. <laughs> yeah, I guess I suppose if, for all you heads, you know... Who are going to decry Cinderella spoilers? Uh, I you coulda shoulda woulda. Uh, you snooze, you lose. I suppose. Um, you got to yeah, catch spo- up to pop culture. Spoilers for a centuries-old story, I guess. Mm, mm. Um, and we do get a. Speaking of, we, I mentioned Greg near the beginning of the episode. Marina starts the episode by saying, "Greg, start the show," which is another reference to, I believe, it's Greg Bailey, who is the. Uh, one of the heads behind Arthur. So he always gets a little mention here and there. So this is another, of course, it being about Prunella and Marina, this is about Henry Screever. And this time the book is called 
Henry Screever and the Knights of the Booyah Base, which I got a big laugh out of to start with. I thought that was really funny. Was this episode coming out around, when did the last Harry Potter book come out? So the last Harry Potter book, this is a good one. I actually didn't, I did not think about this. So I'm just going to do some quick research here. This episode would have been October 2009, if my notes are correct here. And Harry Potter 7, the book was released... Uh, and I'm sorry for everybody. So 2007, we'd already been past the release date of all okay. of the Harry Potter books. But but it's still like, you know, we're still getting the movies and everything. So Harry Potter mania has definitely not left at this point. And the, you can definitely still remember. I mean, I can still remember the, you know, people lining up around the block for this, which is what they're doing at the beginning of the episode. This Henry Screever um, book is being released and everybody is lined up around the block and dressed in costume and I don't think that there's any other book releases that have really gotten to that point, as far as I know. Or at least this was one of the ones to kind of make this a more regular um, showing, I guess you could say, with really popular books. Everybody, all of the kids are buying their own copies. And Marina and Prunella, Marina gets her own Braille copy. Um, decide to read along together, so separately but together, and they decide that they will read up to the end of chapter three and then convene the next day. But in terms of writing it, or excuse me, in terms of reading it, uh, Prunella gets a bit ahead of herself. Um, I before we move on from the, from the book from the bookstore, uh, did you notice brain bothering this poor bookstore yes. employee? Yes. I wrote down, Brain has his own, um, I sure hope someone was fired for that blunder moment, <laughs> where he is complaining about uh, the plot holes in uh, Henry Screever to a bookstore employee who, like, couldn't be further. It's it, First of all, it's one thing to even do this at, like, a Q&A setting with, to the actual author, where you're like, uh, but, but it's another to be talking to a big, it's, it, it's as if, uh, you know, I went to a bookstore employee and was like, you know, Harmony was using that time travel stuff just to take two classes at the same time. Why didn't she go back in time and, you know, stop these numerous things from happening from within the book? But saying that to, like, a Chapters Indigo employee. Yeah. Yeah, it's, ugh. Brain conti- brain continues to keep keep losing here. Uh, really not a fan of uh, the way of of brain the character, I suppose. Now that he's just kind of being this know it all. So Prunella accidentally reads ahead, and then when she convenes with Marina, she ends up spoiling a little bit. And I remember, I re- I do remember this. I remember this phenomena of you know when the Harry Potter books were released of reading as fast as I could to make sure that I was up with my friends and everybody else who was reading it and so we could talk about it it's really it feels like something of a bygone era now because Mm. now you can get access to um, entire book summaries very quickly and I, I can't think of the last time where it's like I read a book to keep up with people to read the book as soon as it came out you know it's true, and I, if you remember, these spoilers were weaponized at the time. There was, like, yeah. a troll campaign of people going up to people in the Harry Potter lineups and saying what happens in the end, like, over, like, loudspeakers and stuff like that. So, um, spoilers, I feel like, go very hand-in-hand hand with this, like, Harry Potter big release. I remember it being kind of... Um, uh, and, and you're right that this is kind of a cultural phenomenon that has gone away. It's more so people now talk about spoilers for, like, TV shows that are released all at once, like Netflix style. Like, oh, uh, people people binge watching so they don't get spoiled on those. Um, but it's been a minute since there's been kind of a book that has captured the public consciousness to the point where people are reading so fast as if not to spoil it. Yeah, and I mean, I guess a lot of this has moved on to, like, TV shows and movies. Yeah. Like, spoiler culture has evolved, but it has moved past um, books, I guess, or for the most part. I can't really think of any other. We also get a mention here of uh, the author of Henry Screever, J, the, whose name is J.R. Ticklepenny, which I have to wonder, are they a turf, too? <laughs> I don't know. With with a name like Tickle Petty, something suspicious is going on. Yeah, let's just let's let's hope for the best in this fantasy world where somebody can maybe not be so hateful. Um, so 
you know, they have a little bit of a spat about this Brunella Marina, and then they agree to, okay, well, like, this time we'll really, like, stick to it. But then Marina ends up reading ahead, some like, somewhat accidentally. It's just that they're so into the story, they don't want to stop. So when Prunella finds out about this in much the same way, they both kind of get upset with each other and decide to finish the book ASAP uh, in spite of each other. Uh, there's a really there's a really good one here when you know they have an argument over the phone after Prunella gets spoiled, and um, then they both they kind of get upset with each other and decide to read at their own pace as fast as they can. So once Marina uh, hangs up the phone, she like balms up her hands to read. It's almost like a rolling up of sleeves, but for a blind reader. I thought that was very funny. Yes, that was very like you got to get that hand grease when you're going to speed braille. <laughs> um, so there, we both get a little montage of both of them, you know, reading as much as they can. I like seeing the different ways in which M- Marina reads Braille. Prunella is caught reading in an assembly. Mr. Haney even calls her out on mic, which I feel is not really something an educator should do. Like, I know that, you know, the thing is, is that they're reading at inopportune times and when they shouldn't be. But it's also like, I wouldn't want to discourage this level of reading you know what i mean it's true it's true it's 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 you know they weren't playing game boy um no no uh i I was thinking about this about like what do you do in this situation because you are supposed to be paying attention in this the uh in an assembly um I, i feel like they actually would probably say stop reading i don't know about like uh um, because in the the imagination sequence that follows, which kind of puts Prunella in the Henry Screever role, and and she kind of yeah, her book is taken away by a fictionalized kind of wizard version of Mr. Haney. Um, I don't know if that's reflected. I guess it is reflected in reality because then we see the sequence where she's going into Mr. Haney's office to retrieve the book. So I, he does confiscate it. So I don't know about confiscating, but telling them, hey, cut it out, pay attention, is is probably fine. And uh, she she takes on the role of Persephone, who I believe is the uh, Hermione adjacent in the uh, yes. in the Henry Screever universe. Um, we also in during this sequence we get a Mister Morris cameo, which if we're paying attention to the incredibly shonky Arthur timeline, puts this episode canonically before April 9th when Mister Morris moves away. It's it's either that or Mr. Morse has now moved back. This remains yeah. to be seen if we ever get a Mr. Morse moved back episode. Uh, but until then, we can only assume that this is earlier in the timeline. I sometimes wonder if they maybe regret doing that because I I, I don't think this is the first time they brought back Mr. Morris with no explanations of just like uh, we no we kind of need like a janitor type character so maybe we shouldn't have of, of course you think Mr. Haney's gonna clean the school oh my god we see in the snowstorm episode uh, how poorly that would go yeah I don't think he's physically capable of cleaning things <laughs> without with nearly breaking his own neck um. So they do the bit of the speed reading. Prunella purports to finish first, but is lacking in some crucial plot details. So when Arthur and Buster and Francine ask her about certain aspects of the book that she supposedly read through, Prunella is kind of like, um, I think that happened or like it was kind of up to interpretation, which uh, I have a I have a I, I I, I recognize this again. We we talked about kind of the whole speed reading phenomenon. So I am not a speed reader. My wife is a very fast reader. I'm not. I'm quite slow or at least average paced. But when I try to speed read, I lose a lot of information. So books five to seven of Harry Potter have huge like I remember getting to the end of book five. I was reading it so fast because I really liked it. But I wasn't retaining the information. And by the time I got to the end, I was like, I'm not even 100 percent sure what happened. So this is a very real thing. It's that, like, if you're not either a trained or natural speed reader, like, you could really miss a lot of things. And sometimes I miss things reading now just going, like, a little bit too fast. And I'll have to be like, okay, stop, go back, which I think might be the ADHD or something. That's so funny. That's so funny. Like, I I miss things reading slow. Like, yeah. Um, uh, I agree. Happens to the best of us. Uh, Who whomst amongst us has not had to reread a paragraph? So Prunella, again as Persephone, has a dream in which her uh, page skimming gets her killed. Now, <laughs> I'll get back to this in a second. Um, Allie, in her 
email to us had a question of if we've ever been accused of page skimming. And Allie mentions that she did that for uh, reading through Catching Fire and Mocking Jay when those were being released. Now, as I just mentioned, I guess what you could call what I did with the Harry Potter books five to seven is page skimming. And uh, Lucas, I think that this is we've never been. I don't think I've ever been in like a competitive reading scenario, though. No, no. The closest is one time I cheated on a book report uh, by doing it about Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, but I never actually completed the book. I just read the first couple chapters, and I have seen Apocalypse Now and knew enough about the <laughs> themes <laughs> that I was able to BS and get a good grade with the rest. Um, but I've never kind of been in a scenario. Um, I'm I'm running out of time uh, vis-a-vis the Dune reread. Uh, <laughs> the clock is ticking, so maybe I'm I'm due for some speed reading uh, in these these coming weeks. Uh, but we'll see. It's been a while since you brought that up. Do you know how far you are through the book? So I basically took the whole year off from reading Dune to mm-hmm. read uh, uh, other stuff. Yeah. Uh, so now that that's all out of the way, I guess it's it's there's nothing holding me back now, but besides myself. So. Uh, time to dive back into the sands of Arrakis, I suppose. I think you can do it, but uh, so we'll, so <laughs> I so appreciate we'll, you believing in me. We'll we'll be rooting for you. Um, yeah. So Prunella has this dream where she, it's it's a little bit like so. I think it's meant to be Henry Screever inspired because she's Persephone again. But it also reminds me a little bit of Monty Python and the Holy Grail because she's mm. she's on this like rickety bridge, and then Francine yes. in like a judge's wig and you know the black robe accuses her of page skimming and tries to get her to identify important book information, which she gets wrong. And this eventually leads to Francine taking out a chainsaw and beginning to saw off the bridge while uh, Moldy Wart, who is the Voldemort uh, equivalent in Henry Screever, presides over Prunella in the form of a giant evil cloud. So I also I also was reminded of Monty Python. It's very like, what is your favorite color? Red? No, blue? Exactly. So Prunella, it's implied that she's that she's killed in this dream, but she wakes up and she's fine. So Prunella and Marina, they both they both have had this problem off screen. Marina has also had trouble retaining some of the details of the end of the book. So they eventually decide to get together and read it again from the top, but this time they'll read aloud to each other to find out what they missed. And the episode ends with them reading to each other the beginning of the book. I will also say before we get to episode thoughts in this particular upload of the episode, there was ads at the end for both Fetch with Ruff Ruffman and Martha Speaks. Both episodes, both shows we have talked about in For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast on our Patreon, if you're interested in hearing our thoughts on it. Uh, which I don't know if I agree with Fetch's statement that if you like Arthur, you'll also like Fetch with Ruff Ruffman. I think they're different enough that I don't necessarily think it's a one-to-one overlap, but you'll have to listen to our Patreon episode to know how we felt. Yeah, I think it's more like if you liked Zoom, you would probably like Fetch with Ruff Ruffman. But yeah, a little bit of false advertisement there. Okay, first episode of season three in the books. We are in the thick of it now. Uh, no acting, please. Lucas, what did you think? I really liked No Acting, Please. Getting the season started off with a, a good start. Um, Philip Senior Hoffman is officially in the good cameo category as opposed <laughs> to the bad cameo category. We, we could start putting all of these Arthur cameos into kind of two distinct groups. Um, but beyond that, um, it's just nice to be spending some time with Fern again. And I think that uh, Fern and Muffy, this is more so a thing in the, the first half of the episode. Um, I like the uh, the pairing of Fern and Muffy. Um, they've been paired together before, and they contrast each other really well. Uh, and, and so it's always fun to watch them kind of get in situations and misadventures with one another. Um, and we haven't had a big ac- episode about acting, despite all the stage plays that have taken place so far on Arthur. So uh, I thought Fern was good for the role, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny. Lots of co- quotable lines. Um, you know, uh, lines throughout the episode. There's the part at the very start where uh, <laughs> Muffy's like, uh, what should I wear, the sparkling barbarette or the sparkling barbarette? Uh, and, you know, all the stuff about, you know, you say 
break a leg or something in French to wish someone good luck. Um, good stuff. Bailey being the one holding the umbrella over Muthy in the middle of the rain while she's waiting for the cast announcements to be made. So yeah, I, I thought it was an episode that made good use of the characters, and I thought it was a fun little episode. What about you, Will? Um, I liked it fine. I, I mean, I loved, of course, that Philip Seymour Hoffman was a guest, and he was so game to do a character. It's really nice that he kind of showed up to do to do that sort of thing. I love that it's a fern episode, and I like that it's about acting. I find acting interesting, and uh, it's it's cool to learn about it from a bit more of a basic perspective. The episode itself was like it was it was pretty it was pretty good, like structurally, I suppose. It was really like, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, as I said before, not so much a character in here, just kind of like a presence, which is fine. But I I kind of wish we had either gotten to know a little bit more about him or. I don't know. It, it it all seemed a little simple, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just didn't have any super strong feelings about it in the end. It was it was it was totally totally fine. Uh, I enjoyed it well enough. Philip Seymour Hoffman, cool, right on. Um, Prunella and the disappointing ending. I had less notes about this. Like I, it was definitely the lesser. Like like physically, I could see less lines of notes here. It's just. I find it really interesting in a way. Like, I mean, first of all, it's a Prunella and Marina episode, and I would and I would classify it as a good one. I like, I I like their dynamic. I liked this. It's just such an interesting topic to talk about, and you know, t- twelve years later, it seems like such a such an old concept now, which which is strange, as we talked about the kind of idea of. trying to read a book in time. And I suppose you can transpose that onto any other kind of media. Like if you're playing a video game at the same time as your, as your friend or watching a movie or something, I don't know. It's just putting this through the lens of a book and also through essentially Arthur's version of Harry Potter. It all seems very quaint to me in a way. And in a way that I I guess I don't think of as good or bad, but it's just like, ah, what an, what an interesting thing to do. There wasn't a whole lot like, Again, not a whole lot structurally going on. It's a very simple episode, but thankfully, it's with two likable characters, so it was uh, it was it was not so bad. I'm not. I think I get the feeling that the Arthur creative team loves to go back to Henry Screever because then this way, you mm. know, there's a lot of like food based puns. There's a lot of like you know, one-to-one comparisons of, like, the mythology of Harry Potter with the mythology of Henry Screever. Like, I have a feeling that they really like going back to that. I'm kind of, lukewarm on it a little bit, especially, like, I'm just generally lukewarm on Harry Potter nowadays, especially. So, the, the charm on it is wearing off a bit. Like, I hope we're not still doing Henry Screever, like, several seasons from now. But every once in a while, it's fine. It's just like, oh, yeah, there's there's this as well. So, uh, and I guess now we have we have... Henry Screever and the Chronicles of Amazia, which are the Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings of the world. So I can't even say, like, do something different. It's like, maybe we'll get to the Arthur version of the Hunger Games in a few seasons or something. But altogether, uh, this, 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 this is pretty good. Again, it's just nice to see Prunella and Marina working off each other again. Uh, I, too, kind of felt a little bit middling about Prunella and the disappointing ending. Um, I think that the highlight for me of the episode was definitely, like, Prunella's imagination sequences where she's in the Henry Screever novels. Like, I loved the sequence that was basically her and Henry Screever, but in reality, she's just kind of sneaking into the principal's office. And there's all these approximations of, you know, characters that are the school staff being turned into Henry Screever characters. And I did like that sequence at the end with the bridge and Buster's bizarre wig and the chainsaw. Like, that was really fun. Um, and and like you said, I do. It's always just nice to see uh, Prunella um, and and that friendship. Uh, uh, it, it's they're they're underutilized characters almost in a way though, because I would love to see them not in the context of just the Henry Screever fandom, right? Like it would be mm-hmm. nice to see them go on a different type of adventure. Um, couple weird things about this episode. Why is the episode called the disappointing ending? They're not disappointed by the ending. Well, the yeah. end. They like the ending. I, I was I, I kept waiting for this episode to kind of be a meditation on, you know, dealing with the disappointment of, of you know, everybody's had an entry in the franchise that kind of ruins or, or doesn't meet their expectations. Right. Um, but but this doesn't that doesn't really fit uh, the episode title at all. And also the, the morals a little bit fuzzy with this one. It's, it's like mm. the moral is like don't speed read because you missed the book. Uh, or I suppose it's like don't. 
don't go back on a promise you make to your friend is is the early moral but i don't know i think that's why this this episode despite having a lot of components i really enjoy doesn't really amount up to the sum of its parts is the overarching like driving force of this episode i don't really understand kind of what they're getting at um and yeah that's how i felt about it all right. Well, I'd say overall a pretty positive start to the season. And I, and uh, many other listeners besides Vinny have mentioned that there is good stuff to come here. And even just skimming through kind of the episode summaries in the Wikipedia list, I, I'm interested. I'm really interested to go forward and see what this is. But all the same, uh, positive start. And I'm looking forward to what comes next. And speaking of what comes next, uh, well, next week for patrons, we will be finally getting around to The Puzzle Place. Which I was, you know, of course, I wanted to, we wanted to have the episode out for you last week, but yeah, we weren't able to do it. I, I've, I'm really interested to talk about the puzzle place with you, Lucas. I think there's a lot uh, to go into about it, and it's a really, really interesting show. Um, and then the week after that, we will be back here on the free feed for the next season 13 uh, episode of Arthur, The Silent Treatment, and Kung Fool. So we'll have to see what that's all about. And as I said before, watch out for something in the free feed on the Halloween weekend. That's all I'll say. And again, you have Young Wee to thank for that. Great to be back at it again with another full season of Arthur. Can't wait to see what's in store. And thank you very much for joining us. I'm Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... Would you quit thanking the ketchup and pass it, please? Uh, that's all with City Limits, and we'll see you next time.